Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. All right, man. Well, this is this is a show I've been waiting for. We are going to talk about all the City Edition jerseys and roast some, talk about our favorites. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> for today, we'll get into some some trouble, some foul trouble to be exact. Talk about the rookie ladder and who's been making strides there. Talk about the hot streaks that We've seen some teams that have been on in the initial games. Talk about the Eastern Conference dominance, uh, not something you heard a lot over the years. And then we will wrap up with everybody's favorite segment, Plead Their Case, where I'll ask you a series of questions and you will plead that case. Let's do it. Foul trouble. Trey, James Harden seem to be struggling with this new rule change. Seems that uh, the NBA finally is not calling the ticky-tacky fouls that they had been calling for many, many years and is actually adhering to a rule change. So do you think that Trey and James Harden will adjust or we will see their points per game average decline this season? I think that we can expect that their points per game average is going to take a step back this season. Um, and that may not just be a factor of free throws. I figured that they were going to probably take a step back this season, no matter what, just because James Harden has a different role on the Nets than what he had when he was in Houston. He's not expected to be the primary scorer like he was. And Trey Young, conversely, is probably going to defer a little bit more to players on his team that are now starting to develop and come along a little bit more like John Collins who I expect to take, uh, take a leap. They're going to get Clint Capella back, who's probably going to take some more possessions. So I thought their scoring was going to go down anyway. But um, I think that the free throws are definitely going to make a difference. Um, if you look at what's been called this year, you're basically going from someone who used to get to the line eight-plus times per game in James Harden to now averaging 5.3 free throws per game. And when we look at Trey Young, we have a similar drop-off. Trey Young is also barely getting to the line because they're not calling his little uh, shortstop foul. So he's only getting to the line at 5.3 attempts per game as well. But I think one thing that's interesting to note is it's not like they're not calling fouls, period. There's still some players that are getting to the free throw line, and it's the ones that you would expect, the ones that live in the paint and are going to take a lot of contact. Like, for example, Giannis Antetokounmpo, is still getting 8.9 attempts per game. Embiid is getting 8.8 per game. Gobert is getting 8.3 per game. Um, with the exceptions of Jimmy Butler and DeMar DeRozan, um, everyone in the top six in free throw attempts per game is a center because that's primarily where they live, in the paint, center power forward. So I think that the NBA has just done a better job of not calling the fouls that are offensive players seeking contact from defensive players type fouls like the ones where the offensive player will jump into the defender or they'll try to kind of make an abrupt hesitation move you get the defender in the air and then launch themselves into that player these kinds of plays where you manufacture contact I think are the ones being called less but I think that they're still legitimately calling real fouls like for example when Giannis is going in for a layup and you have to hack him because you'd rather send him to the line or um, same thing with Embiid or Gobert. I mean, they're, they're definitely still calling those. So I, I honestly really like what the league is doing with their calls. It's going to differentiate people 
um, who are true scorers from those who rely on calls to be successful. I definitely agree with you. I think that the league is finally taking a step in the right direction here. Uh, you see with Trey already that dip from 8.7 to 5.3 attempts per game. And then James Harden has come very far off from where he used to live in the double digit range of free throw attempts down into now half that pretty much at 5.3 attempts per game. So I think though, a word of caution here is we'll see if this is a tale of two halves. What is there such an onus on it to start the season? And then towards the end of the season, they start getting lazy and falling back into their old ways. We'll see. But I think when they've tried to implement anti-flopping rules in the past or fines in the past, it hasn't worked out the way that they intended. So to start the season about seven or eight games through looks good, but we'll see if it meets the sniff test past 41 games. One can hope. I mean, we're not obviously the only people that are fans as much as Trey Young and certain players it's not maybe just complaining us. about it. No, I mean, Draymond Green is out here stating his support for it. We have Marcus Smart out there, a bunch of players basically saying that they're happy about it. Even Steph Curry, someone that you can say maybe would have benefited from some of these calls in the past is saying that he prefers the way it's being called now. So hopefully it stays this way. Well, Marcus Smart is being very public with his opinions as of late, but <laughs> moving on. has been. <laughs> yep, moving on. Uh, the rookie ladder. We can start to see who's who's climbing up there to grab that rookie of the year trophy. But some people who didn't, uh, Cade Cunningham made an underwhelming debut, 2.7 assists. However, uh, Duarte of the Pacers, as well as Jalen Green of the Rockets, have been really impressing this season. So how is this highly anticipated 21, 2021 class that came in with so much hype performing thus far, in your opinion? I mean, I think they're obviously doing really great. Um, I think that all the guys that have been projected to be pretty impressive have had at least one moment or two where they've shown that they have the potential to maybe be an impact player down the road. But um, I think it is a little interesting to see that maybe the top two picks at least, and this may not be a popular opinion, but I don't think the top two picks have been the top two players um, as far as the rookies have gone so far in the season. So I know that when you look at Jalen Green, um, he's had a couple of statement games. So it's hard to say, how can you not say that Jalen Green has not been one of the best rookies? But the thing is, when you actually look at what he's done, he's really only averaging 13 points per game, shooting 33% from the field. And yes, we all remember the game where he made eight threes as a rookie but he is still shooting overall 28.6% from three and 66% from the free throw. So, I mean, these numbers, they're not rookie of the year numbers in my mind. So um, Jalen Green actually has to do a lot more if he's going to win it. And if you're looking at a guy like Cade Cunningham, it's kind of unfair to hold him in the same comparison as some of these other rookies because he was obviously hurt and he's only had the one game but I don't think you could have done a lot worse. I mean, he only scored two points. He was relatively ineffective in every aspect. Um, he did okay grabbing boards, but he really didn't do anything else. He had just as many turnovers that he has assists. 
Um, if you ask me, I think that the best rookie so far has been Scotty Barnes on the Raptors. And yes, I am a Seminole, but that's, I'm not saying his name because I'm biased. He legitimately is playing the best, like in my opinion. Like if he does what he's doing right now for the whole year, I think that he should win rookie of the year. He's actually averaging 18 points per game, 8.9 rebounds per game. He's only averaging two assists, which is actually key because Scotty Barnes right now is being used as a small forward, power forward kind of guy. But one of the biggest aspects of his game that is untapped right now is his playmaking. That number of two assists per game can go up significantly. He was the primary ball handler most of the time when he was at Florida State, and he's actually got great vision. It's just not the role he's being asked to play right now. But we can see as the season goes on and as his feel for the game increases, how he may get more ball handling duties. His PER is 19.92 right now, which as a rookie is really impressive. And he's shooting 55% from the field. He's ultra efficient. And he's actually been a better free throw shooter at 70% than Jalen Green has been. So I really do think you got to give it to him. And that's not even mentioning what he's done on defense, which is actually like very above average, especially for a rookie. I mean, this guy actually has the ability to legitimately defend four positions well all nights and five positions well some nights, depending on who the center is. So I think that's my pick for rookie of the year. Um, but we'll get into more detail about the rookies in a later pod. Yeah, I think uh, I think overall it's been impressive what uh, Chris Duarte has done from the Pacers. Uh, he's my pick at the moment. He's been very impressive to start on a Pacers team that, I mean, it. they still have Karis LeVert. They still have uh, Turner. So they, they still have their pieces there. And I think that for him to come in being the 13th overall pick, he doesn't have the type of hype that Scotty Barnes or Evan Mobley or uh, Kate Cunningham, Jalen Green, any, any of those guys have. So to come in, be the 13th pick and be ha- making the impact that he is, I think that uh, he, he definitely has a chance, but we'll see. Some guys do start hot and then eventually they'll regress and other guys will also regress upward like Cade as the season goes on. But talk about some streaky teams and see if they have any regression later on in the season. But the Heat, Wizards, Knicks have all been on a tear as of late, as well as the Bulls. So of these streaky teams that aren't the Heat, who's most likely to keep it up? I think that the team that is most likely to sustain what they've got going on outside of the heat. Cause I think that's probably the best team in the NBA right now is the Chicago bulls. i really do like the way that that roster is made up. They have a solid differential. They have the largest differential in the East after the heat. And I think that it beat probably the second most impressive schedule. So they've honestly done really well. They're playing solid defense. They're playing solid on offense. I can see clear defined roles for everyone. They're seemingly chemistry. One thing that could hurt them is the fact that they're starting power forward and Patrick Williams is now out for this season. It remains to be seen how much of an impact that's going to make. We know that he wasn't exactly like a big focal point on offense, but it can possibly be understated 
what he does for them on defense, um, being able to defend at a high level, both on the perimeter and inside. So there's just not a lot of guys around the league that can provide what he does where you can get consistent perimeter defense, interior defense, and also spacing and finishing. I mean, there's not that many guys that fill that role very easily. So I'm sure even though he on paper didn't seem statistically that he was a major cog that might hurt them a little bit, but I'm still going to stick with the bulls as the team that probably throughout the year will be one of the top three or four teams in the East the whole year. Yeah. I, (laughs) I said the bulls were a hot take to be in the top three last pod. And I don't even think that's that hot of a take at the moment. I think that they've been so hot and so electric that comeback win yesterday against the Celtics, I think they were down by 32 at one point, like teams resilient seems like Alex Caruso, the goat is uh, really getting that team where they need to be. But yeah, I agree with you. The Bulls roster as a whole, they look amazing. It seems like there is great team chemistry, which is what you expected with the personalities that they brought on that team, as well as some of the history uh, that some of those guys like Fooch and DeMar DeRozan had together. So I definitely see them keeping it up, but I do want to talk about the heat because I mean, you and I are heat fans, but if I think it's very unlikely that they maintain this type of differential, but if they were by some miracle able to, I think this would go down as one of the best defensive performances any team has ever had over the course of the season. Here's my thing with the heat. I actually think that they're the most likely team to sustain it of all the teams, just because when you win with defense, that's the most predictable way to win. The defense of your game is the one thing that you can be the most consistent about. You are going to have some nights where the shots aren't going to go down, but this team, if they keep this intensity up, isn't going to have nights where they aren't going to show up on defense. And it's that tenacious defense that keeps them in games, even when they're shooting poorly. And honestly, if you look at this team, they can still do a lot better. I mean, Duncan Robinson, someone who's expected to be an important part of their offense, as far as spacing goes and providing three point shooting has been in a relative shooting slump from outside shooting five percentage points lower than previous season, at least. And when you look at Kyle Lowry, he's been pretty awful from the field from everywhere this season as well. So it's not like this team is firing on all cylinders and they have the largest point differential of 17 points per game, which is literally far and away the most. Um, The next largest point differential after that is 12.9, which the jazz own. So they're not even doing this while playing their best offense. They're doing this because they are somehow, even though they don't boast the largest lineup, they're killing teams on the boards. They are out-rebounding teams like crazy. They're coming out of the gate firing. They have the largest point differential in the first quarter of any team as well. And again, they don't have all of their players firing at all cylinders. They won the other game. They just played without Bam Adebayo on the second night of a back-to-back and still blew out the Grizzlies, who had uh, John Morant playing like an MVP up to that point. So I really do think that the Heat, 
even if they don't sustain this level of differential, 17 points per game obviously is a lot to ask, even if they can maintain half of that and be at eight points per game. I mean, that's still going to keep them in the top three in the East most likely. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you said you don't know how they're doing this. I'll tell you how. Bam Adebayo, Olympic medalist Bam Adebayo. He's got a defensive rating this year from being at his highest peak last season at 108. His defensive rating this year is 91. So that additionally is defensive plus minus is 2.7, which is also the highest it has been in his career. So perhaps he was shooting in the gym and getting those reps in all off season with UD, like UD said. So I think if Bam continues to play like this, there's a good chance he'll be considered for defensive player of the year. And Jimmy, if he continues to play like this, he's got 2.8 steals per game that also will probably put him in talks for defensive player of the year. And if he continues the scoring prowess as well as rebounds and assists and the Heat are in the conversation or in the top two overall seeds, I think that he has a chance to at least be a part of the top three MVP voting. Yeah, and I definitely would be remiss if I didn't mention Tyler Hero, who I definitely owe an apology to, but we will see. Daddy Hero. We will see um, if this is sustainable. We will see. But he is playing like a borderline all-star off the bench. He has dramatically improved this year, um, going from 14.7 points per game to 22 points per game. He's also averaging 4.5 assists, 6.5 rebounds, and shooting pretty elite field goal percentage numbers and three-point percentage numbers. He's 39.5% from three, 45.8% from the field. And the reason why that's so impressive is because if you've been watching him play, his field goal attempts are ridiculously difficult. He honestly takes so many shots that you honestly say to yourself, that is a very, very bad shot. But he makes it still. And as when he makes it, I mean, what can you say? He's making it. And the question is, is he going to be able to continue to do this? It's not like he's consistently getting to 22 points per game on field goals that you can say are high percentage looks. He's really relying on making extremely contested jumpers from difficult angles, floaters. His floater game has improved significantly. There's no doubt about it. His finishing ability, I think he's realized he doesn't have to take it all the way to the cup where he was blocked a lot last season and had trouble finishing on bigger defenders. He's gotten a lot better by adding a little counter where instead of going all the way to the cup, he floats it up before you can get to him to avoid the contact and to avoid the shot blocker. So he's shown proficiency with doing it from both hands and from multiple spots. So that's a really positive sign. Um, and obviously, if he keeps it up for the whole year, I think there's no question he'd win six man of the year. The question is, can he sustain this for a whole season? I mean, these are some of the toughest shots I've seen. Um, he's honestly making the hardest shots on the whole team. So we'll see. So Eastern Conference dominance, um, now that we've been talking about the Heat, I think that we can also talk about a couple of other teams in the East that have been shining as well. It hasn't just been the Heat that has been dominating. The East in general this year really does seem to be the stronger conference. As weird as that may be to say, 
but we have the Bulls at six and one, the Heat at five and one, the Knicks and the Wizards and the Sixers are all five and two. And then you have the six, seven, and eight seed, all possessing winning records also. Um, and then when you look over at the West, you can see that they've only got two teams that are five and one and one team with two losses. Everyone else from the fourth seed down has at least three losses. So that is something that we haven't seen in many seasons. Do you think that that is sustainable? I do think it's sustainable because I don't think that the powerhouse teams that used to be in the West are still powerhouses. I think that the Spurs completely fallen off. I totally see that uh, Greg Popovich is probably close to retirement. I mean, I think this team is going to go into a full rebuild, which I think is going to involve pop stepping down and likely Becky Hammond taking his place. Uh, You have the Rockets who with James Harden made it every year, obviously don't have him, So they're not New Orleans Pelicans been underwhelming from pretty much uh, several years ago to now uh, since Anthony Davis has left Uh, and the Portland trailblazers, Phoenix suns are both underperforming. You expect them to get back into it as well as probably the Kings and Timberwolves to fall out of it. So, I mean, within the Western conference, you have, I would say, five teams that you can maybe say like at this very point you could expect to get into the conference finals that being the jazz warriors mavericks suns lakers and maybe the grizzlies um but i think if you look up and down the eastern conference like you said you have the bulls heat knicks who have all been dominant the wizards getting rid of russell westbrook is seeming like the best move uh, that they could have made this offseason. They've really seemed to have been gelling and looks like Bradley Beal is probably going to sign that Supermax if it if this continues the way it is. Philadelphia, without Ben Simmons, still performing well overall. Toronto Raptors, Charlotte Hornets, Brooklyn Nets, and then still on the outside looking in, you have the Atlanta Hawks, you have the champions from last year, the Bucks, you have the Celtics. So any one of those teams can theoretically get to the finals. Uh, or at least to the conference finals. So I think that the East up and down is much more stacked. And that passing of the guard that you were discussing is really from not only old to new, but West to East. Yeah, I got to agree with you. It really does seem like there's going to be a major shift this season. And that's like, without even taking into account the fact that teams like the Nets and the 76ers are not really even at their full strength, given that they're both missing an all-star due to a variety of different reasons that we won't get into, we all know. But um, moving on to, now that we've discussed dominance, let's talk about who hasn't been doing as well. Um, I think that the Celtics actually are a team that you just mentioned that have seriously underachieved. We have Marcus Smart coming out, blaming Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum, what do you think is the reason the Celtics are struggling, even though they have two guys on their squad that could probably be the best player on a lot of other teams? Well, you have uh, Ime Udoka, who's a new coach and is trying to figure things out. I think that that team as a whole had a lot of moving pieces 
this offseason. So they're still trying to find out their team identity. And he's trying to find his identity as a coach. I think it's very different when you're sitting in the chair next to the person with the clipboard versus managing a clipboard yourself. So I think as they continue to figure things out and continue to have their team uh, just work through those challenges, I do expect Boston to grow from this and be, be a better team after these seven games. But it's definitely concerning to start the season two and five, and you don't want to get yourself into too much of a hole. And you also don't want players publicly calling out other players because you know that behind the scenes, that might not be the preferred method. You know, you praise in public and correct in private, and that's clearly not what Marcus Smart was doing. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. Um, They honestly may not be a good fit roster wise together like i've been saying this but it really does seem like jalen brown and jason tatum kind of want to fill the same role they're not really the kind of pieces that are making each other better they may be the kinds of pieces that are kind of overlapping and kind of taking away from each other and i think that they're kind of freezing out their teammates and it could be that what marcus smart is saying does have some truth to it i don't really know if it's Ime Udoka's fault. I think that any coach that would have came into this situation may have dealt with a similar problem because if you look at their roster, they really don't have that much outside of Tatum, Brown, and uh, Smart. I mean, their roster really isn't that great. So it's not like they have a a guy who's going to really take the pressure off those two. So Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown both feel like they have to do it all. And it's honestly probably not the right mindset to take because it does seem like Jason Tatum is forcing up a lot of shots. He's only shooting 39% from the field right now and only 27% from three point range. He's also down from the free throw down to 77%, which is really strange for him to drop this much as a free throw shooter. That's something that you're supposed to be really consistent at. So um, even though he's averaging 25 points per game, he is wasting a lot of possessions. So um, I really do think that, They're going to have to consider if this team doesn't get it going, um, just deciding to break it up and maybe seeing if someone else is a better fit alongside Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, depending on who they decide to keep. There was a rumor going around that Bradley Beal may be a play for the Celtics if traded Jalen Brown. Um, They released a rumor that they were talking about playing together. So we'll see if there's any validity to that. But um, well, him and uh, him and Jason Tatum are uh, St. Louis connection there. So that's likely why the rumor is going around. But moving on to our final segment, plead their case. I will ask you a series of questions and you will plead the case for that scenario. Let's get going. Rose gets MVP chance in his return to Chicago with the Knicks a couple games back and currently has the highest PER on the Knicks. Plead Tom Thibodeau's case on getting the best out of his former MVP this season. I think that Tom Thibodeau just knows how Derrick Rose works. I mean, this is the guy that not only brought him to the Knicks and recruited him there, but he's the guy that drafted him with the Bulls and basically helped him develop into the player that he was when he was an MVP, when he was the youngest MVP in the league. And he brought him to the Timberwolves too. (laughs) He also brought him to the Timberwolves. That's true. Had a little stint out there as well. So it just seems like from day one, Derrick Rose just really took to Tom Thibodeau's coaching style. Clearly he did. He developed 
into the youngest MVP ever under his guidance and leadership. And I think that Derrick Rose is just the kind of guy who appreciates a strong, structured environment where everybody's focused on working hard. For example, I think that he would fit well in the Heat organization or with players like Jimmy Butler, things like that. He's the kind of player who really does care about putting in the work and practice, being consistent, building consistent habits. So these are all things that are pillars of Tom Thibodeau. And I think that when you have a coach and a player who have an aligned mindset, that's when you get the best on-court results. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think there's just some people who mesh well with other players, but then some players that just mesh well with certain systems or coaches and clearly Rose is thriving in that system. And it's great to see because he was at one point really left for dead with those knee injuries. So to see him rebound the way that he has and become, I would say like a superstar role player, if you will, uh that's that's been awesome to see and we'll see if he continues to make strides to get back to even more of his mvp form yeah you love to see it yeah so going now to the heat talked a little bit about them uh but there's been a lot of poor performances from their marquee offseason signing kyle lowry who they're paying i think 87 million over the course of three years so plead Kyle's case on why he's going to turn it around and make this team even more electric on offense. I think that Kyle is going to turn it around simply because of the fact that he cannot possibly play this bad for the rest of the year. I mean, if he were to continue to play this poorly for the rest of the year, that would be a drop off of more than 50% of what he was last season. Like, there's no way he can deteriorate that fast. He's shooting abysmally. Like, he's shooting 33% from the field, 26% from three. He's only averaging 8.4 points per game. I mean, outside of playing solid defense and getting the offense going, he hasn't really done anything um, that I can really think of. I mean, I really do feel like they could have gotten this kind of production for much less and probably a much higher level of production from Lonzo Ball. So, I mean, I know that that may not be what Heat fans want to hear, but I really do feel like if they had signed Lonzo Ball, you'd be seeing the Heat play just as well, if not maybe even better. But I just think that it's statistically unlikely that he will continue to miss at this rate, because if he did, then that would make him one of the worst shooters in the history of the league. Oh, I think if he continues to shoot this poorly, Jimmy Butler is just going to kill him. Like, <laughs> I mean, he, he vouched for this man. He literally, I know he's going to be like, <laughs> I'm going to run you in gassers all practice until you start figuring out this jump shot thing, because I brought you down here. I vouch for you. And it's terrible to put your neck out there for somebody who you want to work with. And they come in and give this type of performance. Like, He's got to turn it around. If not, Jimmy's going to be like, bro, next next time at my daughter's birthday, you're getting her a million dollar gift because you got to start giving us some of that money that I got you by getting that referral down here. And I remember seeing too in the offseason photos about how in shape Kyle Lowry had gotten. I mean, what, what were those photos about? I see the season start. He looks like same old Kyle Lowry of always. I, I don't really think that he is in the – best conditioning that he can be in, if I'm being completely honest with you. 
Well, Jimmy will have him running those gassers then. All right. Well, last question. The Nets are sitting at three and three. I believe they have jumped up uh, based off their last game, but kind of hovering around 500. And with that, KD recently was asked in an interview, what do they think is missing? To which he responded, I know what you want me to say. Obviously, we all miss Kyrie. So (laughs) plead their case on why they're enough without Kyrie. I mean, I really do think that they are enough without Kyrie if they can get better performances from James Harden consistently. It's just that, unfortunately, right now, a lot of players that they were expecting to contribute at a really high level for them just aren't getting it done. Joe Harris is playing like total crap. Um, James Harden obviously looks like a ghost of himself. Um, And he's also averaging 4.6 turnovers per game, which I guess, I mean, isn't that far off from what he typically does, but he normally gets more assists when he's turning it over this much. Um, I mean, outside of Patty Mills, they haven't really gotten any kind of offensive production from anyone on the roster, not named Kevin Durant. Um, Marcus Aldridge has, I guess, been all right, giving them 12 points per game on solid efficiency, but they weren't really looking at LaMarcus Aldridge as one of their top three options to produce offense. I think that right now they're just a team that kind of doesn't really have an identity. And I think that that kind of is a reflection on Kevin Durant's personality and probably my biggest criticism about him. I think that he's the most talented player in the history of the game in terms of the physical gifts that he's been given to be his height with his shooting ability and dribbling ability and finishing ability. I mean, he can do everything, but he has never really had that kind of leader personality where he's like, look, I'm going to rally the troops. This is what we're going to do. This is how it's going to be. He's more the kind of guy who's like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do my thing. And you guys, I'm counting on you guys to do your thing, but he's not going to hold them accountable. And neither is James Harden. James Harden's not that guy either, really. He's not really that kind of vocal leader who gets everybody aligned and makes sure that everyone knows what their role is. Um, They don't really have communication when they're on the court. If you look at them on defense, they don't really talk all that much. They don't talk much on offense either. They're just kind of quiet out there. They kind of look like the kind of team that when they're in the locker room, everyone's just quiet listening to their headphones. And I really do think that the chemistry right now is a little off. They probably just need more time to find clear defined roles that make everybody happy and also to give time for James Harden to get in better shape so that he doesn't have to rely on free throws to score. He's going to have to make baskets in order to get points, not just free throws, like real field goals. So he's going to have to get in better conditioning in order to do that because the free throws aren't going to come by as often. So it'll be interesting to see how long it takes for them to get it figured out. But I'm sure once playoff time comes around, I fully expect them to be in the mix. And obviously they're going to be a scary proposition for anyone in the playoffs when they're mentally in a different gear. So as long as they get there, I'm sure that they'll be still competitive. One thing I'll disagree with you on is that KD is a leader, sir. So KD, don't come at us. (laughs) He's he's a, a different type of leader. He's a silent leader who hopes that everyone will follow what he does. Well, with that, that's the end of the show. 
Hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Our Instagram is now live. We'll be coming with some new updates on other social media platforms as well as this podcast. With that, I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. Court is adjourned. <laughs>